This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine claimed to have destroyed bridges across the Dnipro River and ammunition depots in its counteroffensive in the Russian-occupied region of Kherson. Meanwhile, UN inspectors arrived in Kyiv, Ukraine's capital, intending to visit the Zaporozhia nuclear plant, though Ukrainian officials accused Russia of trying to sabotage the mission. At a meeting in Prague, European Union defense ministers considered a proposal to train Ukrainian troops, which America, Britain, and several EU countries are already doing. The UN appealed for $160 million in aid to help victims of Pakistan's floods, which have now submerged a third of the country. The death toll has risen to more than 1,100 people. The planning minister estimated at least $10 billion in damages and warned of food shortages. Separately, the IMF approved a bailout of $1.1 billion to help Pakistan avoid defaulting on its debts. The Chinese Communist Party's Leadership Congress will start on October 16th, according to state media. Xi Jinping is likely to secure an unprecedented third term as party leader. The week-long event will review the country's sweeping education and technology reforms, and will be closely watched for signals that China's draconian zero-COVID strategy has run its course. Muqtada al-Sadr, an influential Shia cleric in Iraq, told his supporters to leave Baghdad's green zone after violent clashes with police and rival factions left at least 30 people dead. Mr. Sadr's followers stormed government buildings in the capital following his resignation from politics on Monday. Iraq has been in political deadlock since Mr. Satter's party won the most seats in elections last year, but was not able to form a government. Elon Musk argued in a court filing that allegations of lax security at Twitter, made recently by its former security chief, bolstered his case to withdraw his bid for the social media firm. He also sought to delay the trial that will determine whether or not he must honor the acquisition agreement by about a month to November. Germany's harmonized inflation in the year to August hit 8.8% as soaring energy and food prices jumped by 0.4% from the previous month. Living costs surged despite the German government lowering duty on fuel and energy bills, as well as subsidizing train travel. The figures have prompted calls for the European Central Bank to raise interest rates faster. In a joint statement, Germany and France warned against banning Russian tourists from entering the EU, saying it could estrange future generations. Other European countries, such as the Czech Republic and Denmark, have advocated for such a step. EU ministers will discuss the proposal on Tuesday as they weigh further sanctions on Russia for its attack on Ukraine. And fact of the day. 64%, the percentage of American pharmacists struggling to get enough Adderall, a stimulant drug, according to a new survey. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
Europe hits the gas on energy reform. Preventative maintenance of its pipelines is how Russia reminds Europeans of its energy chokehold on the continent. On Wednesday, it will close down for three days Nord Stream 1, a pipeline that delivers natural gas from Russia to Germany and beyond. That will rattle Europeans who are trying to refuel ahead of winter. Gas prices soared on the news last week. The flow through Nord Stream 1 has already thinned, following 10 days of maintenance in July. Russia says sanctions have made it difficult to source parts to keep it running properly. Germany denies that. Either way, expensive gas is pushing up energy tariffs across Europe, squeezing the finances of households and governments. That has prompted the EU to mull an emergency measure to decouple gas and electricity prices, though details remain scarce. A structural reform of the energy market is also brewing, as European leaders seek to move past Russia's pipeline politics. The UN faces its own deadline. The departing UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, has promised to end her tenure on Wednesday with the release of a long-awaited report on Xinjiang. The western Chinese region, where the state appears to run a gulag for Uyghurs, a Muslim minority of 12 million, is home to some of the world's most glaring attacks on human rights. Yet the UN report has been three years in the works, and its publication delayed for months. That is testimony of China's leverage over the organization. China issued a letter, signed by some 40 other countries, requesting the UN to bury the report. Last week, Miss Bachelet revealed her office was under tremendous pressure over its publication. The commissioner faces two tests. The first is whether she will meet her own publication deadline, and the second is how harshly she will be willing to criticize China. Her heavily controlled visit to Xinjiang in May dampened hopes. Feeling the Heat of the COP27 Summit On Wednesday, climate and environment ministers from the G20 countries, the world's leading economies, will meet in Bali, Indonesia. They will be focused on COP27, a UN climate summit to be held in Egypt in November. At the previous summit in Glasgow last year, world leaders acknowledged that their pledges to reduce carbon emissions were not nearly strong enough to meet the previously agreed goal of keeping global temperatures well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. They vowed to do better. But so far, only two G20 countries have made good on that promise. Australia now plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 43% by 2023, against 2005 levels, up from the previous figure of 26 to 28 percent. India, meanwhile, promises a cut of 45 percent over the same period, up from 33 to 35 percent, provided that it receives international resources to reach the goal. With less than 10 weeks till COP27, expect a squabble in Bali over who should offer what 
and, as ever, who should pay. Tragedy Foretold in Ethiopia's War Both Ethiopia's government and the rebels accused the other of shooting first. A fragile truce which held up for five months in the country's north has crumbled. Fierce fighting around the border between the Tigray and Amhara regions is spreading. Hopes for a peace deal between the federal government and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, TPLF, have been dashed. Tigray has been under siege for more than a year. TPLF leaders warned they would restart the fight if Abiy Ahmed, Ethiopia's prime minister, failed to release the hold. Abiy's government refused talks appended by such preconditions. Two days after the ceasefire collapsed on August 24th, its forces struck Tigray's capital, Mekele, killing at least four people, including two children. The Tigrayans have since gathered momentum, advancing towards the Amhara town of Weldia and threatening to seize it. That might just be a precursor to a strike westwards to reclaim territory annexed by Amhara at the start of the war. Venice makes up for lost time. After two quiet years overshadowed by the pandemic, the world's oldest film festival returns on Wednesday, with an abundance of high-profile films from Oscar-winning directors. The 79th Gala in Venice opens with White Noise, an adaptation of Don DeLeo's novel written and directed by Noah Baumbach, responsible for Marriage Story in 2019. The following days will feature screenings of Andrew Dominic's Blonde, based on Joyce Carol Oates's fictionalized biography of Marilyn Monroe, Bardo, a Mexican semi-autobiographical comedy-drama from Alejandro Iñárritu, The Revenant, and Bones and All, a cannibal road movie starring Timothy Chalamet and directed by Luca Guaranino, Call Me By Your Name. That lineup of the festival's favorite male directors will be supplemented by Olivia Wilde. She is making her Venice debut with a 1950s-set mystery, Don't Worry, Darling, featuring her pop singer-boyfriend Harry Styles. Cinema-starved fans and paparazzi alike will be in for a feast. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Wednesday Katanas and Daos are Asian versions of which type of weapon? Tuesday. Which American state contains both Bryce Canyon and Zion National Parks? Finally, here's the quote of the day. Genius is nothing more or less than childhood recovered at will. 
That's The World in Brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.